Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, alongside your host, Michael John Cusick. Welcome back. Brian, it is great to be talking with you on this Surfing for God series. Yeah, it's been an incredible series. And uh, even as I've you know read the book myself and processed it uh, a couple years ago, uh, as we have journeyed over the last uh, five episodes, stuff it's just coming to life again in a renewed way for me, and I've really, um, I'm really grateful uh, for what uh, I've had a chance to uh, uh, to take in over these last couple episodes. I'd like to start by uh, doing a quick recap for our listeners. If this is your first episode. As Michael, as you alluded to, we're in um, uh, you know a series now, a podcast uh, based on surfing for God. The first episode um, was just our introduction, set the table uh, for the rest of the book. Uh, the second episode, we looked at broken promises of porn. Episode three, our deep desires. Episode four, brokenness. Next, we dealt with shame and core beliefs. And now today, we're going to take a look at soul snare to soul care. Uh, anything that you'd like to add in terms of you know what we've learned and how this journey has been over the last couple episodes uh, for you related to the book? You know, as you brought up how discussing this has kind of brought up issues from the book again, I've always been struck by how I get emails and uh, feedback about how people read the book and they don't have a sexual struggle or compulsion or addiction, but they've found the book helpful for issues with other kinds of compulsions. Uh, compulsiveness is the same issue no matter what the issue is. So if someone is struggling with food or gambling or shopping or anger or people-pleasing, all of the issues that we're talking about in Surfing for God are applicable. And um, so I'm glad that it's bringing up stuff for you. You know, I've never read the book because I <laughs> I wrote the book. Um, and sometimes people say, you know how in Chapter 6 you say – and I, I forget what the chapter numbers and things like that are. But I'm glad we're doing this because as you recapped the what, here's the why. The why is each of these episodes and processing the content in the book is to help listeners get to the root. So often in evangelical Christianity, we prescribe things to do 
and they oftentimes don't get to the root of the problem or to the root of the issue. But when you get to the root, the problematic fruit is dealt with. So I'm excited today to talk about these cycles and these pathways, and I think most listeners will identify. Hmm. In the book, uh, as we transition here, you identified uh, two cycles or patterns. One is a pattern and cycle of addiction, and the other is a pattern and path to freedom. So why don't we uh, uh, discuss uh, the soul snare cycle? I'll make the distinction right up front that the soul snare cycle is a cycle because it goes around and around and around and it's never ending. The soul care path is a path because it's a direction somewhere. Uh, Psalm 84 talks about, O Lord, you have planted a highway in my heart, or you have set my feet on a path of pilgrimage, as it says in another translation. And so the soul sneer cycle is what everyone will be familiar with. I like to say that there are two kinds of people in the world, Brian. There are people that eat chocolate cake for breakfast and wish they wouldn't. Oh my gosh, I did it again. Then there's people who shudder at the thought of eating chocolate cake because it goes against everything they believe for their breakfast, and they're they're so disciplined and they're so rule driven. Of course, I'm in the former category of eating chocolate cake for breakfast and finding myself doing things I don't want to do. But that is really what the soul snare cycle is about. I want to start by reading a verse in Proverbs 22, verse 5. In the paths of the wicked are thorns and snares, but the one who guards their soul stays far from them. This word snare is really the biblical word for addiction. And in addition to captivity, bondage, chains, things like that, which clearly imply a lack of freedom in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, this word snare is really the picture of something that we find ourselves caught in. We usually are unintentional, but we're stepping into it, so to speak, and it tightens around us. And the harder we try to get out, the tighter that noose becomes. And it's a noose, and it eventually will choke the life out of us. So here's this contrast, that when we're in this place of wickedness, and if you haven't listened to the episode on brokenness, where we talk about the five W's, wickedness, weakness, woundedness, warfare, and wiring, You'll want to listen to that because you'll understand that I'm talking about wickedness as an issue in the heart of being separate, self-sufficient from God, and that wickedness is not that you're bad, that you're unworthy, that you're disgusting, etc. So this word here in Proverbs 22 is the one who is going to be self-sufficient and try to live separately from God, you will be ensnared. You will be caught in things, behaviors, patterns, processes, a modern way of saying it might even be that you will be given over to uh, behaviors, substances, and even giving yourself to people in a way where it won't be free, but you'll be ensnared. And it says, but the one who guards their soul will stay far from them. So, I'm belaboring this, but the two pieces here in this episode and in the book are there's a very familiar pattern of how we get caught and ensnared, and there is a tried and true biblical historic path that men and women have walked for 
20 centuries now about how to live free. Hmm. So what then is exactly the soul snare cycle? Thanks. Once again, you brought me back on the rails. The soul snare cycle, if you think of a circle or a clock, there's four components to this, and there's a diagram in the book. But at 12 o'clock on the clock, it's soul brokenness. At 3 o'clock, it is soul preoccupation. At 6 o'clock, it's soul snare. And at 9 o'clock, it's soul shame. So if you go clockwise, it goes from a place of brokenness to preoccupation to being ensnared to feeling shame. And then it goes back around to brokenness. And every time that cycle goes around, it's a pylon where the shame and the repetition expands the brokenness and the brokenness flourishes and the brokenness takes on more and more power so that our willpower alone is not enough to let us break free. So the soul brokenness, as I said, is a combination of our wickedness, which is that independence and autonomy from God, our weakness, which is our unsurrendered or untold vulnerability and limitation, our woundedness, our those places where we've been hurt, where we've been harmed, it might be things that were done to us that never should have been done or things that needed to be done and were left undone. Warfare are the lies and accusations of the enemy that come against our heart and become strongholds. And then our wiring is our neurobiology, the fact that we're physiological. And all of that is broken in a way that we either mishandle the pain and the need that's there, or in the case of our physiology, that our body, that our, our cells are broken because we live in a fallen world. So that's brokenness. And something comes along, and it's usually a relational moment where there's a trigger. And a lot of the other approaches to uh, getting over an addiction, and especially over something like pornography or sexual addiction, there's a lot of emphasis on, well, know your triggers, know your triggers, know your triggers. And when I wrote Surfing for God, I wrote a section on that. But I actually de-emphasize knowing your triggers, and I put much more emphasis on knowing your shame triggers and knowing the ways that your body is triggered into a state of dysregulation. And we're going to talk more about that in another episode. But all of this brokenness is there like kindling, like dried out logs, and some kind of triggering event happens relationally where a spark of desire and desire, as we talked about in the earlier episode about uh, deep desires and thirst, all of our, quote, sinful behaviors are rooted in legitimate God-given appetites. And so this legitimate God-given desire for connection, for comfort, for secure place to go relationally to get the needs of our soul met, that that trigger sparks and it lands on the brokenness. And think of the spark starting to burn and it causes an ember that's there in the kindling and the wood. And before you know it, the fire is raging. And when that fire starts to rage, now we go to three o'clock on the cycle, we become preoccupied. We lock in on an opportunity to look at pornography or to act out uh, sexually. I call this radar lock, like the F-18s in the movie Top Gun or other aviation movies, where the radar focuses in on a target 
And unless it's disengaged, it cannot be undone. And so this is where uh, the person starts to make plans to act out. Here's when I'm going to be alone. Here's when I'll have a break at work and I can go down to the bathroom with my smartphone. Or uh, here's this person that I flirted with at this retail store and I have to go shopping this week and my spouse is not going to be home. So, you know, I can go there and create that connection. And that preoccupation takes over our heart. We give our heart over to it. And it's at that point that if there's not some kind of radical intervention, it's almost like that preoccupation is that we're at the top of a sliding board and it's a steep sliding board and you've gone over the edge and it's inevitable that you're going to act out. And down at six o'clock, there's the, the soul snare component of the cycle. And that's where we actually act on the behavior. The ritual gets completed and that might be looking at pornography and masturbating. It might be reconnecting with an affair partner, some other kind of uh, addictive sexual behavior or sexual sin. And inevitably, because sin always overpromises and underdelivers, we find ourselves empty. We find ourselves feeling ashamed. We find ourselves loathing ourselves and saying, why did I do what I just did? And that was certainly my story for years and years and years. I hated what I was doing, but I couldn't not do it. At nine o'clock then, the final part of this cycle is soul shame. And this is not simply I'm ashamed of what I've done, but it's that something gets triggered so that the shame at a deeper level, which by the way, we talked about in the last episode, a shame at a deeper level gets triggered. So it's not simply I feel guilty because I looked at porn and that was bad. It's a sense of I am bad. And the looking at porn actually confirms that. And so that part of the cycle is actually related to our brokenness and our woundedness, and that then piles on to the brokenness, and every time we go around that clock or that cycle, the brokenness becomes greater and greater, and the strength of the addictive or compulsive behavior gets stronger and stronger so that we're simply unable to use our willpower. And the scriptures call this in Second Corinthians 10, a stronghold. The picture of the uh, the clock is uh, very helpful for me. So let's go ahead and turn the corner and uh, talk about soul care itself. What's soul care, Michael? Soul care, my simple definition of soul care is a whole person practice that leads to the restoration of who you are. A whole person practice leading to restoration. Hmm. Hmm. Super helpful. Thanks, Michael. Hey, let's take a quick 60-second break, and then on the other side, let's take a look at the path to soul care. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Michael. In my life, I've battled addiction and even blew up my marriage. I experienced childhood abuse and lived for years with PTSD. And in all that, I've experienced incredible restoration and healing in my life and marriage. Now, my story is not your story. 
but there comes a moment for every one of us where we need something to change. At Restoring the Soul, we help couples heal their marriage. We help individuals restore their life and get their heart back. If you can't wait months or years to get unstuck and out of that rut you're in, our intensive counseling process in Colorado allows you to experience deep change, real breakthrough, in half-day blocks over two weeks. Finally, you can heal from your trauma, overcome those compulsive behaviors, or heal what's broken in your marriage so that you can live the life you're meant to live. Visit RestoringTheSoul.com. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. And today's episode, we're talking about soul snare to soul care. So, Michael, what exactly is the soul care path? Ah, I am so glad you asked. So, first of all, all that we're talking about here is unpacked in two different chapters in Surfing for God. And again, the soul snare cycle goes around and around, and it's never-ending. It's uh, the cycle that I call, in the first part of Surfing for God, lather, rinse, repeat, like the old shampoo bottle instructions. So many men have told me that that's their experience. So the soul care path is actually toward something. It's got a direction. It's got an endpoint. You know, in Philippians 1, you're probably familiar, listener, with that verse where Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry that on to completion. And so the soul care path is moving toward completion. And Brian asked right before the break, what is soul care? You know, in the last 15, 20 years, that's a word that's thrown around a lot more. And again, I simply define it as a whole person practice that leads to you being restored. And what I mean by whole person practice, it involves caring for your body. Sometimes soul care is saying, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to honor and love myself in the way that God calls me to in Colossians 3. Therefore, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and sometimes physical exercise or the way that you eat or how in a moment of stress when your chest is tight, how you sit and do some deep breathing exercise. That's all a kind of soul care. Soul care is uh, mostly an emphasis on the inner life of the body, but it can, of course, be the whole person. So, we talked about the clock or the circle, since we cannot give you a visual right now. And three of the positions on this path are uh, different from the previous one. But the one that's similar on the soul care path is still soul brokenness. So at high noon, 12 o'clock, there would be the word soul brokenness. Now, with our brokenness, there's one of two things that we experience. The first is we experience healing. I uh, lived with uh, a knowledge of childhood abuse for a long time. And then there was a period of time where I started recalling other kinds of abuse that had been pushed down or kind of hidden behind a curtain. And I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was a kind of brokenness which needed to be healed. And I've been a part of physical healings and praying for people and emotional healing and, of course, relational healing and psychological healing. But healing doesn't always happen the way that we want, and sometimes healing is not complete in the way that it will be in heaven. The late great theologian Francis Schaeffer said that Christians can experience, quote, substantial healing. 
although not a healing that's complete. So in cases where we are not experiencing that full healing, and a case in point would be that I live with bipolar disorder, and although medications allow me to manage that and uh, to have the interpersonal effects of that far less than what they would be, that's something that I'm very likely going to live with the rest of my life. And so we turn to 2 Corinthians 12, where there can't be healing, there is entrusting. Paul prayed, God, I have this thorn in the flesh. Three times he cried out that God would take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And what God was saying is that, Paul, for whatever reason, I can't or I'm not able to take this away right now, but I want you to trust me with it. Who I am, the presence and the the gifts or grace that I bring to you, they are enough. They are enough. And so we heal our brokenness or we entrust our brokenness. And as I talked about in the brokenness episode, we can steward our brokenness. And the gospel tells us that our brokenness is not a barrier to freedom and a life with God. It's actually a bridge to that life when we hold it in the light and when we entrust uh, that brokenness to God. So that remains the same at the top of the cycle. At 3 o'clock, as we move clockwise, the word soul preoccupation is replaced with soul attentiveness. And attentiveness is just like it sounds. It's paying attention. It's noticing. It's observing. What's going on inside of me? I notice that the biggest trigger to me acting out with porn is loneliness or rejection or when my wife and I get in a fight or when I'm at work and I'm really stressed out, I need to stop midday and somehow engage in some kind of fantasy. And again, people might be thinking, oh, well, when I overeat or when I binge, I notice these patterns. And so it's not just the pattern behaviorally, but it's paying attention to what is going on on the inside. A great place to look is Psalm 42, where Most people might be familiar with the first part of that verse, and it says, As the deer pants for water, God, so my soul pants after thee. And when I was a young Christian, that was a warm, fuzzy kumbaya song. But what it really means is, as the dehydrated dying animal is crawling through the desert on its belly, that's how I feel, God, toward you. In other words, what I need and want isn't happening. I'm in a state of great need, and I feel this disconnection. And if you were to read that psalm onward, it would basically talk about how there was a breakdown in community. I remember how I used to go with the multitudes in procession to the temple to worship, and then suddenly the psalmist stops and he goes, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And three times in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, that question is posed. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And this is an example of soul attentiveness. What's happening on the inside? Am I mad, sad, glad, scared, ashamed? Am I feeling numb? Am I feeling flooded with with, uh, anxiety? And as we notice those things, we're beginning to make the connections, Brian, between what's happening on the inside, and how that leads to a behavior on the outside that we don't want to be doing. That attentiveness, instead of the preoccupation, allows us to slow down 
and to move into the phase that's at the six o'clock position in the circle, which is soul care. And at that point, as we are paying attention, the focus of soul care is asking the question, what do I need right now? What do I need right now? And think about this. You know, I've talked to thousands of men who, when they were tempted sexually, they are told to call their accountability partner and say, hey, I'm tempted sexually, and will you pray for me? But what, what would it be like if a man became aware of that he was feeling lonely, and he dialed up that friend and said, hey, man, I'm feeling lonely right now, and I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that, and that the emphasis was on that legitimate God-given longing. But do you hear how it's so much more vulnerable Brian, if I were, you know, you live in Cincinnati, I'm in Denver, if I just call you up after you're back there tomorrow and I go, hey, I'm feeling lonely, you might go, uh, thanks for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if I go, and in this loneliness, I don't want to do what I normally do, then A, there's a connection between you and I, and I'm no longer lonely, B, I'm known in the midst of my struggle which is another lie of porn, is that you don't have to be known, you don't have to be vulnerable, and you can get your need met, and then you can pray for me and pour into me. And so it just it's a whole different way of thinking that soul care is moving toward something, and it's moving toward that legitimate God-given desire that we have. And as uh, men begin to practice this soul care, and we have a lot on our website and the podcast in particular about different ways to do this, including something that I've created called the I Care Practice. It's a five-minute-a-day practice. I Care, I-C-A-R-E, is an acronym to help you five minutes a day walk through a process of just kind of tending to your inner life. But the soul care uh, stage is generative. It creates, it expands who we are. In Psalm 119, Verse 32, and this verse is a great transition between soul care and the next stage where soul shame is replaced by soul freedom. Psalm 119, verse 32, David says, I run in the path of your commands because you've set my heart free. And in one translation, it says, I run in the path of your commands for you, God, have enlarged my heart. I love that picture because it's it's really a picture of a muscle that's growing stronger. It's a it's a picture of the the self expanding and becoming more of who God created us to be. So as we engage in soul care, then instead of shame, we move into this place of freedom. And I'm just going to talk briefly about this, but I want to introduce this idea that we misunderstand what freedom is. So often I hear men say, "I'm free." because I have not looked at pornography. And of course, it's important to try to break free from certain sinful behaviors. But freedom is more like a coin with two sides on it. One side of the coin is we've got to get away from the things that uh, entangle us and that hinder us and the things that ensnare us. But then that's only part of the picture. Freedom is moving into to take hold of the life that we're created to take hold of. If we look at the Hebrews in Exodus, after 480 years, God delivered them from Pharaoh and from the oppression and the abuse where they couldn't live their life of worship faithfully. But then they went out into the desert and God had to teach them how to live as the people of God. 
So this process of freedom of moving into really allows our hearts to partake of the life of God and union with God, to live as beloved sons, so that pornography is something that loses its grip on us because we're no longer empty and hungry and thirsty in the same way. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.